This is a HeadGum Podcast. Universal FanCon is a brand new convention coming to the Baltimore Convention Center in April of 2018. FanCon will be a round-the-clock event featuring comics, cosplay, gaming, celebrity guests, music, and more with a focus on diversity and inclusion. Get your tickets now at UniversalFanCon.com because geek is universal. What's up, y'all? It's producer Will Packer, and you're listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Keep it locked right here. Hey, it's Debbie Clown Bell, host of the CNN show United Shades of America, and you're listening to Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Hi, I'm Mika Burton. I work for Rooster Teeth, and you're listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. This is Van Jones with Yes We Code. You are listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. I am Valicia Butterfield-Jones, and I serve as the head of Black Community Engagement for Google. And you're listening to the Black Girls Nerds Podcast. I'm Tracy Heather Strain, director of Sighted Eyes Feeling Heart, the first featured documentary about Lorraine Hansberry. And you're listening to me on Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Uh, my name is Tanahasi Coates. I write for The Atlantic and I am the writer on uh, Black Panther right now, and you are listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Hi, everyone. This is Samira Wiley from Orange is the New Black, and you're listening to Black Girl Nerds Podcast. of the Black Girl Nerds podcast. My name is Jamie and I am your host. This episode is titled The Mudbound Episode. One of the most talked about films of the year, which is getting crazy Oscar buzz, Mudbound releases on Netflix on November 17th. In this episode, we interview the cast and crew behind the film. We're going to break it up into three segments. Our first segment features a one-on-one interview with actor Jason Mitchell which is hosted by Kendall. Our second segment is hosted by Joy. She does a one-on-one interview with actor Rob Morgan. And in our third segment, it's a roundtable interview featuring the director, Dee Rees, which also includes journalist Joy covering the roundtable. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this Mudbound-only episode of the Black Girl Nerds podcast. And don't forget to check it out on Netflix November 17th.
Set in rural American South during World War II, Dee Ree's Mudbound is an epic story of two families pitted against one another by a ruthless social hierarchy, yet bound together by a shared farmland on the Mississippi Delta. Mudbound follows the McAllen family, newly transplanted from the quiet civility of Memphis and unprepared for the harsh demands of farming. Despite the grandiose dreams of Henry, his wife Laura struggles to keep faith in her husband's losing venture. Meanwhile, Hap and Florence Jackson, fellow sharecroppers who have worked the land for generations, struggle bravely to build a small dream of their own, despite the rigidly enforced social barriers they face. The war upends both families' plans as their returning loved ones. Jamie McAllen and Ronsell Jackson forge a fast but uneasy friendship that challenges the brutal realities of the Jim Crow South in which they live. Actor Jason Mitchell. Um, I first want to say I saw the film. I love it. Thank it's you. It's so good. I love the way that the story is told and just the different characters and the relationships. Thank you. Um, so I first wanted to ask you, what is your favorite part uh, about the film? Um, my favorite part about the film is just that my character, Ronzel, he is, I think, the epitome of what every black man would have wanted to feel like in that situation. Because, you know, it, it is our past. There were situations like that. And it was a very real thing, but putting your head down was the way to stay was the way to survive you know what i mean and he he fought through so much without ever putting his head down you know and that just made me feel really good so i was like i'm definitely on board with this guy you know so i i love that yeah and he has an interesting perspective because um, and you know, we, I, I'm from the South. I'm right. from Houston. Right. Um, and Sorry, just, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, it's, it's been an interesting, it's been an interesting ordeal, which I'm sure you also understand. Yes, yes. Um, but he has a very interesting perspective because, you know, he is growing up in the Mississippi Delta, then goes off to war and right. experiences a whole different world. Right. And it's very hard to come back right. after witnessing what it's like overseas. Right. In regards to race relations, so what did you have to do as an actor to just kind of prepare to take on that emotional um, stance? You know what's really interesting is that um, I'm an army brat. My mom did 20 years in the army, so I was born in Germany. And my sister was born in Kitzigan, my brother was born in Belgium. So I had, you know, some, some of my, my real early years in a real gumbo pot of people. You know what I mean? My first kiss was with... <laughs> Um, a girl from Portugal, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it was, it was a thing that I could really just flash back to in my mind because, like, Europe is, is so much different and there's so much more, you know, diverse. And it, it's kind of cool to, you know, have that, that, that experience already, you know what I mean, that I can just kind of relate to. But um, we shot a piece of the movie in Budapest and it was really, really interesting, you know what I mean? So to even just have that juxtaposition between this farmland and this these slave quarters, basically, you know what I mean? To 
this really beautiful place where we were just like super liberated, you know, and I got to shoot a tank while I did it and everything, you know what I mean? Yeah. So it was it was really dope, you know, it was really dope. You don't really have to look that far into yourself. You I've know? never been to Budapest. I've always wanted to go. It's a great it's place. It's on my list. It's I have a, a very place. long list. Okay. <laughs> I have a very long list, but that's one of the places on there. Um, so there was a particular scene in yeah. a barn. Yeah, you know, I can I can spoil. tell by your face. <laughs> we, won't, we won't spoil. Yeah. Um, but I want to know what did you have to do to prepare for that? Um, I want to say that was all D. Reese. I really got to give it to her. You know what I mean? And um, she really gave me a a comfortable space to be able to operate in. You know what I mean? And and Rob Morgan. He was really there for me a lot that night too. You know what I mean? As a, as a father, he played that position for me at the time. So, you know, all the the, the racial things that are happening and all the physical things that are happening is already weighing on me heavy enough. But then, you know, you you have this fearless leader who's giving me this this option in this this very protected space to just go there. You know what I mean? And. I, I kind of had this, it was one of the few days that I did have to stay in character the entire day. Because I'm the guy that when it cut, I could just laugh it off. Mm -hmm. You know, but that that was the day that it was, it was really, really heavy. It was my heaviest day. But um, it was also a really hard day for, you know, a, a lot of the white guys that we work with too. Jonathan, you know, it was a, a day that tears really came out of his eyes, you know, in between takes. And I, I really appreciated that, you know. So everything I had to do, I, I was ready because my, my whole team was was behind me. Yeah, my uh, my colleague who did the roundtables yesterday yeah. um, came back and kind of told me about just having to prepare for saying the N-word and hearing that word and, right. not, and like just getting your face right to not just automatically, right. you know, have that reaction. Would you say this is one of the most challenging roles that um, Absolutely. Absolutely. Because, you know, as much as I think black people want to address certain things, you know, when uh, there's still um, a part of you that isn't quite tamed on how to feel about it or isn't quite adjusted to how it would make you feel if you were really in that situation, which kind of made it great in a way, you know what I mean? Because you, you get to challenge yourself mentally and at the same time you, you, you get to grow up in a lot of different ways, you know? So it was it was cool, but it was very, very hard. Yeah. It was tough. Yeah, especially with everything that's going on right, right now. It's just <laughs> kind of like, I, you know, sometimes, and at first I have to admit, I was like, do do I want to watch this? Because right. sometimes I'm, I'm just like, I just want all of my entertainment to be fantasy or just not Right. Completely at all, but this was so it, it was so good and so entertaining, and I like I I really love the way that it ended, which I won't say. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, me too. And and I think that um, it's it's a very good way to, you know, kind of bring things to a full halt when it when it does end. And I think that, I, like, I'm a very visual learner, you know. Same. So like, I think that you know, if if this. It's part of the modern day textbook, you know what I mean, to show these younger kids what we went through or just, you know, to, to help our country build, you know what I mean, to give us something real to work off. Like, it's, it's such a privilege, you know, even yeah. though it is super tough. Like, we're going down in history, you know, yeah. 100 years they can look back and say, oh, this is what it was like, you know, so. Yeah. 
it's and cool. it's so interesting to see scenes where people are really getting upset just because you're walking through a different door. Right. And stuff that seems silly, completely silly to us now, like that was a real Yeah, thing. it was a real thing and it was so petty. Yeah. You know, and it's and the world <laughs> that my grandparents lived through as exactly. kids and so it's just kind of like, oh wow. Exactly. And it, it, it kinda gives me hope though, because when we look back at that and say, look how petty that was and you know, people were going back and forth with it. There are things now that internally exactly. we feel like that's petty. You exactly. know what I mean? So hopefully if we get to look at the times that we're in now, later we could be like, that was petty. Was you know petty. what I mean? Like so it, it's it's cool. Like why are we getting mad about riding in the front seat right. of like, a car or walking through a wrong like you're just looking at it like Really? Right, it is okay. so strange, you know, because now the cool kids get on the back of the bus. You know what I mean? So, so it's crazy. It's crazy. So I, uh, I really love the relationship between Ronzel and Jamie. Yes, but I also love, um, like, the relationship with Ronzel and his father. Yes. So I wanted to know, um, just aside from like Ronzel and Jamie's experiences in war, what is it that you think draws the two of them together? Just charisma, for one. You know what I mean? Because every, I think everybody chooses their friends. Like, I handpicked my friends. Before I even started acting, I knew who I would be friends with who was already famous, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? And I think um, Jamie, well, Garrett, in real life, he has that charisma about him. You know what I mean? Like, we, we were in New Orleans together, and... We went to bars together. We did the whole thing. You know what I mean? Sometimes he'll break out the guitar and we'll have, you know, a couple girls over or whatever. And it was always just very, very chill. And he makes a lot of sense, you know? And other than war, I think just being in the mind frame that things are better outside of this area, they they both had to have that experience. And it affected them in a more positive way than negative, I think, you know? And they could find that positivity in each other, even if it was at the bottom of a bottom, you know? Yeah. 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 Sometimes you have to do that. Yeah, you know, sometimes <laughs> you gotta get it done. You know, strong whiskey, you know, <laughs> solves problems sometimes. Uh, you know? Yeah, because I, I definitely love some whiskey, so I understand. Uh, what is your favorite relationship um, in the movie? I mean, that all of the, the relationships in the movie are so dynamic, every single one. Um, right. So what's your favorite? It, it's really tough for me, but I, I gotta say it. It's with with me and Hap, me and Rob Rob Morgan, because he is mm-hmm. not only a, a juggernaut of an actor, but he's what most men aren't getting. He's what most black men are lacking, and why they're not strong. You know what I mean? And Ronzel was very strong because he had Hap in his corner even if Hap didn't know how to handle the situation at the time. Mm-hmm. You know, it was it was very interesting to, to see him be able to let go enough to cycle through his feelings like that. You know, mm-hmm. you just don't see black men do that. And yeah. that, it was just great. Yeah, he had a certain level of, of empathy yeah. and just kind of that, like he was just very self-aware yeah. of his own emotions and his own feelings. Yeah. And so I think that's kind of, that kind of like transferred onto all of the kids. Right, definitely. It definitely did, you know? And just being in that house, it even though it's like next to a log cabin, you know yeah. what I mean? Like it feels very warm, it feels alive, you know? Mm-hmm. My favorite scene, I think watching the film was when I first come home from war and, and he and I embraced, it was 
it felt the same on the day as it did when I watched it on that camera. Me teared up a yeah, it was, bit. yeah, it was dope. I was, like, yeah, I was like, this is not going to make me cry. And then he was like, you know, I'm just we're sitting at the table. I'm praying for my son, and then the son walks through the door, and I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> Here we uh, go. Hold it together, <laughs> right? With the makeup kit. Yeah. Um, so, what is it that you want audiences to get out of this film? Um, I want them to to realize just how much alike the two families are. You know what I mean? Like, it, even today, I don't think fully that, you know, white people and black people really understand each other, really, you know, agree with everything that goes along. But for once, you have a non-biased outlook. You know what I mean? It doesn't sit with anybody long enough to be like, oh, well, that's wrong, or this is right, or that. You know what I mean? You just really get both sides, and you get both sides unedited, mm -hmm. you know? So it's it's really cool, you know? So hopefully people go home with an understanding, you know? And it's all it's all ended with love, you know? So, yeah. you know, I, I think it'll put a smile on people's yeah, faces. Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, you kind of go through these these hills and these valleys right and at the end you're like okay i think that all the characters ended up in a place where it just it just made sense yeah 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 definitely were there any other um films or that you were excited to see uh here at tiff <sighs> you know i gotta say i really have to say that i just i'm excited to see the way people react to this movie right now, you know what I mean? So I'm like so lost in it because I, I've, I've seen it only one time. Really? Yeah, and I've- That's not fair. Yeah, and, and, and so when I watched it, I didn't, I didn't get to really see how everybody else felt about it. So I'm really excited just to, to see how other people feel, you know what I mean? I think it's gonna be great. I mean, just everyone on my team yeah. that's seen it, you know, like I heard great things about it, and then when we all watched it together, we were all like, "Wow!" Like I'm really, totally. I, I'm, I personally am really excited for other people to see it, and for my friends to text me and be like, "Hey, <laughs> can we talk so, about that?" that makes me blush. I'm like, "Yo, that's crazy." That's what's up. There's gonna be a lot of like, I can just see a lot of think pieces going on about this. Yeah. So it's it's. It's very good. I'm very happy for you and just everything, all of the accomplishments that you've had over Thank the last you. couple of years. So Thank I you. think this is definitely, it's a great piece of work. Thank you. Sure. Thank you. Um, so I'll ask you one more question. Yes. Since we are black girl nerds, I yes. need to know, what do you nerd out over? What do you geek out over? Anything in you particular? Know, I don't even feel bad saying this. I'm going to say it. I love home decor. Yes. I, I'm I'm a guy like I, I was an electrician at one point in time, and it it just made me so fascinated with you know like customizing things yourself. You know, so <laughs> yes, yes, I am. Okay. <laughs> I am. I watch the Treehouse show. I watch <laughs> everything. You know, I, I watch all that from Bar Rescue to all of it because I just you know I, I like you know walking in a house and it feels a certain. Yeah, you know, so I love it. Well, thank you so much thank for talking you, with thank us. You. I had a great time. All right, me too. <laughs> I'm so happy for you. Thank you. <laughs> Actor Rob Morgan. Thank you so much for chatting with me. Yes, I'm really excited to talk about uh, Mudbound and kind of everything in between. So, mm -hmm. talk a little bit about your relationship with Netflix. This is the third I counted Netflix kind of 
property that you've been in because you did Stranger Things. Obviously, you're part of the Marvel Netflix series, and now you're doing Mudbound. Doing Mudbound. I uh, have Godless coming out. Mm, That's coming okay. out November 22nd on Netflix. I just finished a movie called The Week Of with Adam Sandler, Chris Rock, Steve Buscemi. We just wrapped that like three weeks ago. That's coming out on Netflix. Um, Netflix is like my daddy, to be honest. <laughs> you know, they, they keep a brother employed, you know, thankfully. You know, because Netflix was, I would say they're, they're the, the platform that gave me the most exposure. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, grinding, acting in New York City, you know, HBO, CBS, NBC, Fox. None of them would give me a job. You know, HBO would play all my films on, you know, short films for free, you know, that I'm in, but wouldn't give me a job. Netflix came around and said, hey, we got a job for you. Hey, we got another job for you. Hey, we got another job for you. So I'm very thankful to Netflix, yes. Now, you mentioned you were working in New York. Are you from New York? Um, I actually grew up in the uh, D.C., Northern Virginia area. Cool. DMV. Yep. I've been in New York for the past 20 years, 21 years. Where you, yeah. What area do you live in? I'm in Brooklyn. Nice. I'm from the Bronx. So. Oh, you're from I, the Bronx? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Born yeah. and raised. Oh, okay. I live in Harlem now, but I had to act. I jokingly say I'm our uh, senior Bronx correspondent. Uh -huh. So every time I hear somebody say New York, I'm like, oh, where are you from? That's so. right. Yeah, I'm in Brooklyn. I was in Bed-Stuy. Now I'm in Crown Heights. Nice. Awesome. Yeah. So talking about Mudbound, mm -hmm. you obviously play Hap. There's a certain kind of helplessness in the way you portray your role that obviously is very appropriate for the times. What was the process of, of kind of getting to that headspace? Because we spoke, we spoke to Dee earlier, and she was talking about some of the exercises she had you guys do with you kind mm -hmm. of like accepting somebody calling you a nigger, and you had to be like, yes, sir, and doing it over and over again. So mm -hmm. what other exercises did you guys do to kind of get into that, that headspace? Um, that was an exercise enough. You know, uh, yeah. when we first got there, that was our introduction to each other as characters. It wasn't even like... Hey, sit down, let's go out, have lunch, you know, let's, you know, go, you know, to the park and hang out. It was like, all right, you, you, come on, sit in this chair, you sit in that chair, look at each other. Now say this, say that, you know, and um, that immediately throws you into that space. Uh, aside from that, for my own homework process, um, I really just kept thinking about how we're still here as black Americans, even though we've endured the most heinous, brutal, sickest form of oppression this world has ever seen with no apology and with no rhyme or reason, just simply because of somebody's sick fantasy of not wanting to work for their damn self. You know what I mean? Um, so in order for us to survive that and still be present and able to contribute to America in 2017, you had to have some level of vulnerability and some level of, of composure in the face of all that so that you can make it home to your wife and children. Yeah. You know, so that you can see your kids grow up and leave and live a, a better life than you you were able to live something that you were able to provide for them even in the face of racism you know and it's a line in the book Mudbound that I always uh, revert to 
that it says this is Mississippi there doesn't have to be a reason simply you understanding and knowing that as a black male in Mississippi 1941 there doesn't have to be a reason like I can be literally drug out of my bed right now I could be literally walking down the street going to work and be hung on a like for no reason yeah so it takes a, a certain level of, of strength to endure that in my opinion and I wanted to, to represent that you know because um, you could be the man of your household you could have ultimate respect from your children from your wife but then the moment somebody knocks on your door and say put down your fork and come help me move this or no even come help me come move this yeah yeah and you gotta do it yeah just to survive because in Mississippi there doesn't have to be a reason you know what I mean yeah so I think that this is like it's a beautiful testament to to black Americans in America, you know, that we're still able to endure all of that ignorance, but still be able to contribute to society with art, with uh, necessary tools, lawnmowers, refrigerators, stoplights, shoes. <laughs> you know, we still yeah. able to contribute to everything that everybody needs in order to have a quality life. And we're doing this in the face of oppression. Yeah, absolutely. Talking about the oppression then and the oppression now, have you seen the film yet? Which one? This film now. Like, have you watched it in its entirety? Mudbound? Yeah. I watched it at uh, Sundance. Nice, okay. Yeah, yeah, for the screening. So, watching the barn scene, the final barn scene, I think as black people, black creatives in particular, I think these are things that we just inherently know, but I think it's a lot different than seeing it on the Jumbotron, if you will. Yeah. So, seeing that scene, somewhat in a similar time frame, shortly after a couple of months, you now have things that are happening in Charlottesville yeah. with the Nazi protests. Yeah. How is seeing that, then seeing it mirroring it in the news, and you were a part of that, that group of actors who had to be a part of creating a scene such as that? Well, one, uh, I understand completely that, you know, history is something that stops, you know, and our oppression in this country never stopped. So this isn't history. It's present day. We're just dealing with the children, the great-great-grandchildren of the people that were doing it in 1940. It's no different, you know. Racism is an emotion. You can't ask anybody to shut their emotions off. What you can ask somebody do to do is to be mature enough to deal with their emotions in a respectful manner of everybody else around you. And hopefully with you confronting your ignorance of not knowing the people directly around you, maybe if you interacted with them, your racial, your emotional racism won't be as strickening on you. Because that's what it is. Yeah. You know, it, people don't know how to deal with their own inner demon so they lash out at other people you know around you try to oppress somebody to make you feel good make yourself feel good yeah and that's not even necessary man you know what I mean? like we're all it, humans. it really isn't it's not even that, like like we're all humans at the end of the day and literally if you really want to get factual about it africans are the ones who domesticated the world we're the ones who showed you not to eat sleep and 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 habitate with animals mm-hmm. we taught you that mm-hmm. you know what i mean right. we, we're the ones who showed you how to get in the line for civilization the forming of a line to wait for something that was the first sign of civilization africans did that you see what i'm saying but then also 
it's about black Americans understanding and knowing their history prior to being established in America within the textbook form mm-hmm. because we were here way before 1600 we've been mm-hmm. here for millions of years mm-hmm. interacting with the Native Americans regularly we had businesses we had marriages mm-hmm. but every that's not taught to us we're taught hey you was a slave now wake up go to sleep eat drink sleep you slave yeah nah we got to go beyond that and find out who we really are so that we can deal with what's going on right now because history you know it, it just repeats itself right you know what i mean right yeah kind of want to talk about am i answering your question no that no that's a really great answer to the question kind of talking about the experience of, of, of watching it and to your point history doesn't stop it is present day so it's a constant but influx just different versions of it it's on paper it's but at its core yeah but at its core it's exactly the same same thing yeah yeah talking about um i'm going to switch gears a little bit to mm-hmm. the marvel netflix series mm-hmm. we talk a lot about kind of these core pieces that tie the universe between all of, of the, the TV shows. Mm-hmm. Claire Temple's one of the obvious ones, kind of being that Rosario. connected tissue, yeah, with mm-hmm. Rosario Dawson. A lot of people don't talk about Kurt Barrett, like Turk, Turk Barrett, Barrett being yeah. like that connective tissue. For you, how do you view Turk in this world and he's, what's his kind of like place as being a form of a connective tissue between all four stories? You know, uh, in the streets, people come up to me all the time and be like, yo, man, you're like, you know, the the character that ties everything together. You know, you're my, I even get people telling me, you're my favorite character and all this stuff. But the consensus, the attitude is that they don't use me enough. You know, um, I think if anything, that's been the, the response I've been getting from like the public. Yeah. And the people are like, why are you doing They need to use you more. You should be in more episodes and this and that. Cause, I guess, you know, my character essentially is the informant. Yeah. You know, I bring information, you know, to get you to the next ass beating, you know what I mean? <laughs> or the next killing, you know, so. Uh, but I I show up whenever Marvel calls me and, and do my job, you know what I mean? I just, just look at it as, hey, I'm whenever they call me, I show up prepared and, and do my job, yeah. yeah. So however they want to use Turk Barrett, that's on them, you know. I'm, I'm still out here working on Mudbound, working on The Week Of, working on Godless, working on Stranger Things, you know. So, yeah. Are you going to be in Stranger Things Season 2? Uh, I've, I've shot some material for Stranger Things Season 2, yes, okay. ma'am. Um, obviously, without spoiling, I'm not going to not try to flick it's up your darker. check. <laughs> it's darker. It's just darker. It's, it's more darker. This. For season two. Yeah. So without spoiling anything, because again, don't want to fuck up your check. Mm-hmm. The week of and Godless coming on yeah. Netflix. What can you share about that? And what's when it's coming out in the future? I can share that Adam Sandler and his whole Happy Madison uh, production company are like two diamond type organization to work with. You know. Um, treated us with so much beautiful care and, and detail and even if it was a comedy you know it, it's very funny it's going to be hilarious but I really learned from working with uh, Happy Madison you know just seeing how they treated people and stuff like that was just phenomenal um, Godless my man Scott Frank uh, we went to New Mexico it's a, it's a western 
you know, I get to play a Buffalo soldier, you know. Um, so to show the, the range of characters that I can play all on Netflix is just super for me, you know what I mean? Because yeah. I can play this, this, this low-level street guy that comes and informs people, then I can play this, this officer on Stranger Things, you know, and then I can play this Buffalo Soldier and Godless, then I can play this sharecropper in Mudbound, then, you know, um, so yeah, I think Netflix provides me a way of, of showing my diverse character pool that I can play. So I love that. Awesome. I love that. Yeah, yeah. I love Thank that. you. Thank you. Oh, I do have two minutes. Oh, okay. So Thank you. you you kind of talked about all the different genres you've kind of been a part of in Netflix. If you could carve your next Netflix drama mm-hmm. and TV show that you could be a part of, what would it be? I would love to sit down with them and and share this idea that I have, uh, like in the '80s in Brooklyn. You know, something to tell a story of, of the, the humanity of people. I, I, that's what I'm going to share. Because I even have the setting. I even have, you know, uh, what the story entails and where it's going in mind. But what I'm going to share right now is that, man, I think it would be very beautiful to see a human perspective of Brooklyn in the 80s. You know, yeah. before crack hits. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like, let's see all that love and fun and, you know, uh, attitude and charisma and, and style and, and intelligence. So I'd love to do something like that, would to you, be honest. Or would you want to be on the writing side, kind of do like a little bit of everything? Be, yeah, I'd want to be on the writing side. I'd want to be the, the guy because it's, it's centered around a guy. Yeah. Yeah, centered around a guy. I'd want to be the guy. And... um yeah, I would love to learn as much as I possibly can in other areas, but I definitely want to contribute in the writing and, and the storytelling, acting side of it. Yeah, and just one final thing. Um, yeah. Netflix has afforded you the opportunity to... Pay my act- rent. No, that, that is important. <laughs> <laughs> rent is really key. Yeah. But no, um, to have showrunners and directors are black which is not necessarily yeah. common yeah especially kind Cheo. of yeah Cheo, you have Cheo, uh Adari. Adari Coker, uh, mm-hmm. Coker uh, doing Luke Cage and yep. doing Luke Cage season two which I'm assuming Turk will be making appearance and then you obviously you have D Reeds with here in Mudbound yeah um, to ha- work with a variety of different types of facets of blackness with being a queer black woman and mm-hmm. and and Cheo uh, obviously being a black male, like how has that experience been? Kind of working under their direction. It, it's it's been amazing. I mean, you know, D is beautiful. Uh, I think there's some particular sensitivities that's understood in the communication and dialogue to actors from their perspective on how to relate to the the actors. You know, uh, telling the story. Um, I think it's a certain level of, of like just style and flair to the set, like a certain level of just just comfort and cool, you know, at least for me, that I really tapped into with both of them. You know, I'm fortunate for that. Uh, even Stephen Williams, I did uh, this thing called Believe. He was a showrunner on that, and he was a cool brother too, you know what I mean? So, yeah, yeah, there's some showrunners out there. We just got to... You know, like Viola Davis said, they just need the opportunity. You know, we need more stories that reflect our experience, yeah. you know. And thankfully, I think Netflix is bold enough to reach out 
and, and tapped into our experience. Yeah. You know, I, I even say Netflix is blacker than BET sometimes. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I'm like, wow, a lot of a lot of stuff that I can relate to on Netflix. You know what I mean? Um. So yeah. Did I answer? That did answer my question. Okay, Thank cool, you. Cool. Is that it? Filmmaker D. Rees. Does it feel like a kind of a dream come true being at this point now? You know, being sold on Netflix and the success of your festivals? Yeah, it feels good because it feels like the work is being talked about in terms of the work, you know, mm -hmm. and not just in terms of like the maker. And so I'm excited that it's being received that way. Like, you know, you can't control what audiences say, you can't control control what critics say sometimes the unsolicited it seems to be connecting and people are getting it and really like responding to it and um so i was last at toronto back with pariah in 2011 so it was my second time here and it's i'm here in a different way because i'm here and able to really spend time like going around with the cast and talking to like press whereas with pariah like we were small and nobody knew who we were and so i was like you know i was there for the screening and out so it's a total different like experience but it feels like a mirror of them one thing I love about your films is I feel like the main characters, at least the core ones, have to go through some type of transformation. Mm -hmm. And you've kind of seen that through Pariah and Bessie and now mm -hmm. for this from Mudbound. Mm -hmm. What's your process to direct those films in a way that we kind of see that introspection? Because I think mm -hmm. there's a lot of a tie to the mental health of mm -hmm. these characters, primarily these black characters, and mm -hmm. what they're going through to go through that transformation. Yeah, for me, I mean, the thing that attracts me to stories, like any material, is like who is, are, are the relationships, and like that's the only reason I like do something, so like explore different things. So with this film, I wanted to show, you know, on many levels, so we start this like symbiosis between these two families, they're tied together, and then at the individual level, you know, Henry and Hap are tied together by this feeling of disinheritance, um, Jamie and Ronzel are tied together by this feeling of trauma. And Florence and uh, Laura are tied together by this sense of economic empowerment. They're both economically like disempowered, and trying to like negotiate that. And so like the connectivity happens like between the families, and then, then at the particular level, and then at the macro level, like they're tethered to this piece of land, you know, this, mm. this mud, this muck, this like a metaphor for like race and what we're all mired in. So for me, I just like approach the the relationships and pairings. Like I don't, I don't like. The words matter less for me than kind of like the intentions. And so I was trying to get actors to understand that core. So with Jamie and Ronzel, we're working that core of trauma and exploring how Jamie and Ronzel are more brothers than, you know, Henry and Jamie, but they can never consummate that brotherhood. And like exploring, you know, with um, Hap and Henry, how these guys both feel connected to this land, to this place, you know, but, but it has different kind of re 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 repercussions. So like I wrote a monologue for Hap, but what good is a deed? Like that's not in the book, but what is the original script to like show this kind of inner life. And same thing for Florence, like I wrote the monologue about her, you know, I remember my, my mother Blue, so it talked about her connection to being a mother and like how love is a means of survival, like by ensuring these other children survival, I'm actually ensuring the survival of my own family. So I like to work in internally and figure out like what the character's kind of internal drive is, what their intentions are, and kind of how, you know, not just how they achieve that, but how they unwittingly can like work against themselves in trying to achieve that. And um, yeah, just like, and just like thematically, I'm interested in like in this film, I wanted to explore what it means to not be able to come home. You know, I wanted to explore like citizenship, like what it means to be a citizen or not. So it's not just like the superficial, like these are the times, you know, this is a period piece. It's like thematically still working on identity, still working on, you know, home, you know, how family unwittingly can like drown, can, can drown you, you know, like yeah. both, both, 
families and like even like Jamie when he comes home his kind of interaction with Pappy is bloodier than you know his like experiences like you know in the theater of war and um and then kind of like mirroring that like when we come into that barn scene it's like a theater of violence you know like it's important we have the levels we have the height mm -hmm. just like you know when we're with Ronzel and Jamie we're in like this theater so but we're very personal and very subjective you know so just um I'm always kind of thinking did I answer your question? I'm yeah, always just kind yeah, of thinking yeah. like all those different things, but relationships, <laughs> characters, and like how, you know, to use like landscapes and like scenario to kind of like underline those. So you guys filmed in Louisiana? Yes, we filmed in Louisiana and we shot like three days, two, three days in Budapest, Hungary. We shot the war sequences in Budapest. And then we shot the plane sequence in Long Island um, at the Long Island Plane Museum. There's like a World War II museum. So was, I wanted to actually shoot in like a B-25. And I was like struck by, in, in the plane, like how small those spaces are and how compressed they are and how like, you know, how you expect this tiny piece of flesh to fit into this big piece of metal and like, you know, how, like how do you even like function in that space, much less have situational awareness and like, you know, strategize. And, and when we're inside the tanks in Budapest, it's like a hot, dark metal box and like the air is moist and like how you, and so there's three guys in this space, like how do you fit in that space and like, you know, it's like to show that kind of claustrophobic, kind of close connection that that, that, that that happens. And so it's important to kind of shoot, you know, in Europe so we're not like trying to recreate it in Louisiana and fighting the landscape. Like let the architecture, let the landscape work for you versus trying to like use your time as a director, like fixing it, you know, mm. just have it. And then same thing with like the plane, like it's important to shoot like an actual plane. So um, Garrett, who plays Jamie, could be crunched in and like, you know, feel that and like the dome, like, like, like there's this much like between you and the outside world. You know, and like the insanity of that, how there's nothing between you and the outside. And thematically, like, like that was another thing, like each of these characters are trying to keep the outside out, you know, like emotionally and physically. Mm -hmm. But, you know, discovering that, you know, um, we're porous as beings, like, you know, the world is porous. You can't keep the outside out. Like stuff always leaks out, stuff always creeps in. Mm -hmm. And, you know, how do you then, you know, respond to that? So Why was it important for you to show the war rather than stay in the because I wanted to juxtapose like the battle at Broad versus like like the battle at home, so that the characters are like psychically psychically connected. So when Hap falls off the roof, it's like his son like feels his pain as he comes under fire. Yeah. You know, so it's like you know the crunch of that bone and like the boom of the cannon. You know, become like intertwined and like they're they're together. And like for Jamie, when he's like in this dog fight, you know the girls we think they're gonna die of whooping cough. So they're both kind of gasping. They're both like you know spiraling down you know and so um, the editor is Mako Kametsuna and so she was amazing to work with because in this story like with seven characters like six voices it could easily become like nobody's movie but you know we really worked to make it be everybody's movie you know and so each time the audience think they know what it's about it's not like it starts off you think it's about two brothers like no it's not about two brothers oh you think oh this is about a marriage it's not about a marriage and you think oh it's about the war it's not about that either and it's not about these sharecroppers either it's about you know all of these things, you know, and like by being like really subjective, like with the cinematography. So Rachel Morris was a DP, is amazing, and being really, you know, having the inner monologue. I think it allowed the audience to empathize, you know, with each character. So you're invested in them, and then you kind of give up. You don't know what's going to happen next, but you're just like with them, and that's what I was hoping for. I wanted, to, oh, you, yeah, I wanted to talk a little bit about the barn scene because obviously mm -hmm. you did not right. film it. In, in recent time, mm -hmm. but with going everything that's going on with news, things like Charlottesville, mm -hmm. kind of juxtaposing, mm -hmm. and you've probably now seen it now in this new lens. Mm -hmm. How has your feelings about filming and directing that, that scene change with what's going on in mirroring and what's happening in the news? Yeah, so I think like, I think what's happening now doesn't change how I feel about like, 
filming or shooting, I think it'll change maybe how people receive it. Mm -hmm. I think like people who once thought, oh, that's over the top, whatever, will feel like, oh, actually it's not over the top. And I feel like, you know, in a way I feel like things haven't changed. It's just I feel like the tablecloth has been pulled back and you see this has been here, this table has been here all along. We're just taking the tablecloth off now. So yep. I think it's going to force us to kind of like address the thing that's always been there. The thing that's kind of been unspoken is just being uncovered. And I think people are realizing, oh, these ideas haven't changed. These attitudes haven't changed. They were just covered, you know? And so I think in a way it's revelatory and maybe in a way is the thing that kind of like shakes us into like rationality and shakes us into like dealing with it. I feel like some of us have been dealing with it and like have known this, but now it's like everyone else can hear and say, okay, yeah, maybe, you know, mm -hmm. absolutely, there is something going on. So I think, um, yeah, I hope that, that, you know, feels it, but Jason Mitchell and Garrett, they're both like in shooting that scene. It's very, it's very important, like clear the set. Only the people who needed to be there, be there. So both actors felt like they had the freedom to go there and some, like the background had to feel safe and yelling out crazy stuff. You know, they had to feel safe. Like, you know, I'm standing there like, no, I need you to say these things and say them, you know, loudly. So it's like, everyone had to feel safe and Jamie had to feel safe. And my idea, I really wanted to feel like Passion of the Christ. Like it's kind of like Mary Magdalene, like Jamie's Mary, you know, Ronzello's Jesus. I, I wanted to feel like a crucifixion where there's just like this kind of like symbolic thing happening where it's very passionate, it's very visceral, it's very kind of tactile and like, it's not just a lynching. It's like, you know, this thing where it becomes almost religious in how it's enacted. So, yeah, and then he's come and taken down and Mary, you know, takes right, her head off yeah. and covers him. Yeah. So I really wanted to like bring that to the scene and that was kind of like the, the idea for it. I appreciate the safe space conversation because I think oftentimes when we're talking about actors, particularly marginalized actors, mm -hmm. we don't consider that if they're yeah. having to do a scene of that caliber and of that importance, yeah. oftentimes they don't feel safe because it's something that could right. happen to their great grandparents, yeah. could it happen to them, like even today. So I yeah. do think it's important to so have that safe space on, yeah. the, on the set. No, 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 nothing is very emotional. I don't think you mind me saying, but like, you know, after seeing like Jason cried, you know, like Jason mm -hmm. cried and Rob held him. He was like that, you know, deep. And even like, you know, so jo Jonathan Banks, who played Pappy, right. he's like shaking. So everybody who's there, like Garrett is shaking, everyone's in that room because like, you know, and it was a feeling like we're is a feeling of like we're not playing, you know. And everyone I think was tapping into like this deep feeling, and um, you know, even like going into it, like I wanted like so like Jason Clark who plays Henry, he had to be comfortable saying the word nigger. It had to flow like a noun, like glass cup sky nigger. You know, there can't be that hesitation that we have now because we live in 2017. And so like one of the extras I had um, Jason Clark and Rob Morgan do was like a repetition thing where. Over and over again, Jason Clark says to Rob, you're a good nigger. Rob has to say, thank you, sir. You're a good nigger. Thank you, sir. Like, over and over again, like, two minutes, just, like, do that, stand face to face. And you could feel Rob, like, simmering and, like, you know, mm. but having to, like, swallow it and, like, take it. And you could feel Jason, like, fucking, you know, like, uncomfortable and, like, it's hurt. He's, like, he's, like, not wanting to say this over and over again, but he's got to say it. And so by the time we get to set, you know, that feeling is there. You know it's possible. Like, you know okay. the possibility is there. Like, so they're really listening to each other and, like, I just like to go quickly for the discomfort, even like physically, just create physical discomfort because then we get on set. Mm. We've kind of done, in a way, kind of like the worst of it. Just being seen is difficult, seeing is difficult. So just getting two people staring at each other for 60 seconds, if you can get through that, then you know, we're able to like really get through the work. So yeah, it's not like the work. So one thing that really just sort of came across to me, um, and I want to say, it was either Rob or Garrett who kind of touched on this, when we spoke with him earlier, is like the way you've structured this film is so deliberate. Um, everything is tied to something else. Everything is there for a reason. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, we're kind of trusting you as the film is unfolding mm -hmm. to show us what that is. 
um, ha and and one of them was saying like when they're shooting when you guys were shooting you could see basically you kind of editing in your head like knowing mm -hmm. exactly where you wanted to go where I wanted to is be. this just how you think <laughs> or is this like how were you able to structure the film this way you know did you just kind of have like a view of everything you wanted like from the moment you started or I think there's like I think I think you know I have an idea of where I wanted to go or where, where I think it to go and so then I with that in mind you kind of go through the script like, kind of like what is this scene about and like how does this scene build and then I think when you're on set you're just aware of when you're making choices like okay with this blocking now you've locked yourself into this configuration so I'm always interested in like how the blocking can kind of like you know, say what's like underscore what's not happening, or say something different than than, than what's going on, or, or how it can like create tension. So I'm just very into like blocking and like where you place people in relationship to each other. To you know, so for example, if two people like love each other, like placing like very far apart is more effective than placing them close together because then they're like reaching for each other. Like like the the, the looks are longer, you know, and like or placing people who dislike each other in extreme discomfort. So putting like you know, Pappy Rob whatever like in this truck together, you know, you know, so like right. things like that where the blocking kind of helps, you know inspire the actors like I'm thinking about that stuff in editing and like for example like I know like if I'm not going to be in like a wide shot at a certain point of the dialogue then it's just like getting the part of it right that you really want and then I really like am going to like be in this moment hopefully like in like an over or in a tighter and like you know create like an uncomfortable like profile where it's so like at the general store you know the camera's like backed into like a camp it's, it's back into like a corner so when Pappy and Ronzel face off like we as, a, we as an audience are uncomfortable because it's like a weird angle because we're like short-sighted you know we're not like seeing them at a distance so just thinking like about stuff like that and I think but there's still like discovery and like you see stuff happening and like me and Rachel do a shot list but then I get to set I was like I get to get there early like you see what's happening in the room what's happening in the feeling it's like oh actually it's interesting like through this doorway so like all that has to be fluid and change and like you're just kind of like um in the edit almost kind of like then like rewriting and reshaping those experiences and like figuring out how to get in so for example with like henry and jamie it's like okay there's tension what's the tension between them cut to laura okay laura's the tension between them okay what's the tension with laura and henry okay then half and then what's happened is the land you know so it's kind of like figuring out how the audience to create this kind of like um you know to think almost in like panels like comic book squares like how you ask questions and then answer them visually but not so literally for the audience and not with a lot of exposition and I think like not being presentational where you're like I'm showing you and here's mm -hmm. the critical information you know it's kind of like how to like give the information but trust the audience's intelligence and not show them you know like let them feel it or come to like understand so because yeah. the film's kind of emotive but not melodramatic so it was important for you to show restraint in that way not Ex to get wrapped up in the, the emotion of it Exactly, and there, there are a lot of scenes that we cut, and there's like a lot of dialogue we just cut because it's kind of like you don't need to actually say the sentence about oh, you know, Jamie's into you because like it's like obvious. It's obvious when he looks at you like just that long, that that much too long before the hug, you know. And it's like they seem like husband and wife, and like you know. So I just like playing with like silences and playing with looks and like you know, trusting the audience to get it because we're projecting ourselves onto them, we're projecting our experiences onto it. Like we're kind of like filling in the blanks and the actors like just as an ensemble like it, and, and even like in the edit like going back to that it's kind of like deciding like okay whose scene is it you know you shot it so it could be anybody's scene potentially but then in the edit okay this is actually we're going to give the scene to Jamie like like Jamie wins the scene or Pappy wins the scene or Ronzel so in the edit 
you can, you know, explore, if you have enough options, explore like who to give it to or how to, you know, change it. And so, yeah. yeah. Can you tell us about, okay, so it took me, I think, maybe like 45 minutes before I made the connection that I was seeing Mary J. Blige. I was like, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And this is, you know, she's not the first sort of like major like singer or celebrity to, to do like a serious movie, right? But like, she's not Mary playing like some downtrodden serious character. She's the character. Yeah. Like, and I never, I don't think I ever really thought of her as an actress in that way. Yeah. Um, what was the process of getting her to just fit and feel natural in this movie? Yeah. I just knew I wanted her, like, from early on, it's kind of like, and I've worked with Shaquem before, so Shaquem's her manager, who also managed at Queen Latifah, so I was like, Shaquem, does Mary ever do this? And he was like, yeah, send the script, D. And so, you know, thank God she said, yeah. But for Florence, I think a lot, I cast a lot based on faces. Okay. And, like, people's faces, like, sometimes kind of, like, communicate a feeling or something about them, even if they're not trying so much. So it's like with Mary, like, I knew Florence had to have this deep empathy, you know, this person who mm-hmm. thought a lot, feels a lot, but maybe gives you, like, this much of it, you know. And Mary has that. And just as an actress, like... It's going to sound crazy, but I saw her like in like The Wiz on stage where she's like mm-hmm. Eveline. And it's like, oh shit, she like is Eveline. She's like there. And she's the kind of actress who can like throw away vanity, throw away self-consciousness and just really submerge herself. And Mary was able to do that. Like she's on set early. She knows her lines. She knows everybody else's lines. But she's not just knowing the lines. She's like listening. She's feeling and she's making it for her own self. Like she, she's like creating these kind of like... Um, connection like these roots like the way she likes is like checking in with Ronzel or the way she's like looking at her husband kind of like you know she's just had it and like she's got chops so I'm glad people are gonna like know that but she just has it and she's like if you've ever been to a concert it's like a therapy session you know she's not just like singing lyrics she's like living the line and I knew in that same way she would like live these lines and like just put all of herself into it just like in like the washing of the body and like just how she genuinely just like found that feeling and gave it so I'm just like trying to be out of her way I'm just like capturing that moment because it's so you know it's she does like a lot of work and makes it look like effortless you know so that's the whole thing and you hired women in almost every kind of major role department heads yeah what was that important for you to, to do that it was because I wanted to approach this narrative as like a pioneer story as a western and like as a subject that you know is not thought of as like feminine but I wanted to have that like I wanted to have like the best and like Rachel Morris like I wanted her to be the the photographer and to bring that to it and like uh Hood Kuzak's like our sound recorder so it was like she's like the best sound recorder so it's not just that they were women it's that they were like the best at what they do you know and so I knew these women who had this craft like Tamar Kali who I'd worked with on Pariah you know she's like performs in Pariah and does like songs for it now I want her like her to be the composer because you know she could give me this like orchestral thing so I really wanted to bring women into it to kind of like I don't want to say prove but just to like demonstrate, you know, like excellence is excellence, you know, and you can have these badass women across disciplines come together and do this very thing. And like, you know, there's nothing more, more powerful. So I'm just glad they all came on and did it. And did the thing like Mako, I, who, 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 who had edited Pariah, I want her to like edit this. So there's like these existing relationships, like Angie Wells, who I knew from like the Bessie Press tour. It's like, okay, you can like run a makeup department, you know, just like do it. And so it was just great to see them like allowed to like have that freedom and stretch and like do this whole other thing, so. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for your guys' time. Someone like behind me, like waving. I'm like, everybody's like, yeah. Thank you. I missed that. Do you think we'll see you? Like, this isn't even really casual, but like, um, 
We'll see you work with that apparel again. I hope so, yeah. I'm always trying to like find roles for her, like Mudbound, like she's too young for Florence. Right. And then in yeah. Bessie, she had just done like a like kind of like a love for things. So I wanted something different. And plus, I see her as like a leading lady. Yeah. So it's hard for me to cast her as an like a supporting character. I'm like, no, like you're my lead. So She's wonderful. I want to, yeah. yeah. I want to. Thank, Thank you, you so, so much. Thanks so much for your time, guys. I love the little rose. I know, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Thanks. Thanks. Kind of slick. I appreciate it. Thanks. <laughs> yes. The Black Girl Nerds podcast is produced by Jamie Brodnax. Various episodes are edited by Jamie Brodnax, M.R. Daniel, and John Bauer. The opening theme song to our show is written and performed by Samus. Various instrumentals are performed by Samus, Sky Blue, and Shubzilla. You can find episodes of the Black Girl Nerds podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play Music, Stitcher, Art19, and Spotify. That was a HeadGum Podcast.